Hello, this is Doug Wyatt, and I want to welcome you to our podcast series, Considering Christianity as a Scientist, and this is podcast number 22. This is the second in our new format where I hope to discuss with us as scientists and scientific thinkers how we might think, react, rationalize, and accept ourselves in relationship to God as Christians and followers of Jesus. These new podcasts are intended to be shorter and more focused. I hope you have listened to our podcast 1 through 21 and encourage you to do so if you have not. Podcasts 1 through 20 are longer and a bit broader in depth of discussion, but help lead our thoughts in a sequential process. Podcast 21 started our shorter and more focused discussion. Podcast 22, this one, is part one of a three-part podcast series on blending our lives as scientists and Christians. Podcast 23 will continue our discussion as part two, and we will end with podcast 24, which will be part three of our series. As a reminder, I am a PhD scientist, published and with patents, and a long history of managing major science and engineering research programs. I am a Christian. With many of my friends in science, technology, and engineering, I have chatted with and discussed our thoughts on Christ and Christianity. The Creator God, the Bible and human history, and often how difficult it is to reconcile belief with our scientific training and thought processes. I truly understand and have struggled with this myself. Science and Christian beliefs are often hard to merge in our modern technological and skeptical world. Yet I know that many feel, sense, hear, a quiet whisper, a deep sense need for something greater, larger, and more meaningful than ourselves. I want you to consider and to discuss through our podcast that this is our Creator God calling to you personally and how to accept this. I offer this series of podcasts as a scientist and a Christian consideration of Christianity as a scientist. In this podcast, we want to discuss and to consider how to live as a Christian while being a scientist. I have friends, good friends and colleagues, who say that this is impossible. Our conversations are always interesting and meaningful. I believe that it is, in many ways, a very complementary coexistence. For many, being a Christian and being a scientist are diametrically opposed concepts. If one, then not the other. One and a minus one. I have even heard ain't no way as a bit of emphasized slang. For many, being both is a laughable concept, such as stating that only people who pretend to be scientists can be Christians. Others believe that they can be good and moral scientists, yet not a Christian, and they can be. Why can't I be a scientist and a good person and have another religious belief? As you can. Why do I need a savior, a God, redemption? All these types of words and concepts as a scientist. I have spent my life considering these concepts and believe that I have heard and participated in every argument ever posited by thinking rational people. And I believe that our science can actually help lead us to our Savior, our God and redemption. And all these types of words and concepts. Much of what I discuss are my own thoughts and maybe a little bit of my own journey. 
First, let's start by discussing how a scientist, or anybody, can live as a Christian, and then we will follow with a few brief thoughts on being a Christian versus other good and moral belief systems. I want to start with a few key statements spoken by Jesus as recorded in the New Testament, just to get our thoughts started. In the Gospel by Matthew, Jesus is quoted, and by the way, this quote is called the greatest commandment and is one of the key principles of Christianity mentioned in reference both in Mark 12, verses 28 through 34, and Luke 10, verses 25 through 28, where Jesus had just had a discussion, maybe even a scholarly debate, with the leading religious scholars of Judaism, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I want to digress a moment and talk a few minutes about the Pharisees and the Sadducees because I think as scientists and scientific thinkers, we can relate and understand from experience and truthfully maybe even a little of our own attitude. The Sadducees were the smaller group of the two but were mostly the aristocratic and priestly group. They held the highest positions in the temple system. Their name likely derived from the Hebrew name Zadok who was a Levite, who the prophet Ezekiel prophesied his descendants alone would be the high priest of Israel. They were generally wealthy, politically involved, and with political influence. They tended to be more educated, maybe even more worldly, in their knowledge by some accounts. They only acknowledged the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, as true scripture. They did not believe in any type of resurrection or immortality of the soul. They focused their efforts in these areas and in keeping the temple sacrificial form of the Jewish religion intact. They did not believe in angels or demons. They were very strict in enforcing their adherence of their beliefs in the Torah and executed punishments up to and including death. They considered themselves the just ones, the right ones. They were born into their positions. They favored the elites of society and allowed outside rulers and forms of government as long as the temple sacrifice system continued. They did not survive as a Jewish sect after the fall of the Jewish temple in A.D. 70. Strict, self-righteous, separate, and better than others, a feeling of entitlement, denial of much that history could teach, arrogant. Who do you know in your scientific career and experience that would have these similar traits? Consider the Pharisees. They were the larger group of the day. They probably came together as an organized belief group much earlier than the Sadducees. Their name is probably derived from the Hebrew word paras, meaning one who is separate. They believed that themselves and the Israelites should maintain a separation between outside cultures. They did not like having outside rulers and outside cultures. They believed in not only the Torah, but all the written and oral traditions that had been passed down through their history and gave equal weight to all. They believed that breaking any of the laws from the Torah or tradition was an act against God, so practiced and enforced purity rules, not only for themselves, but believed that all Jews should practice them. Most Pharisees were not born into the order, but were laymen who devoted themselves to a life of purity as defined by Jewish law. They would go through years of education to learn what they wanted, and some even became noted experts, known as the scribes, who would then go into teaching, becoming rabbis. The Pharisees had trouble with Jesus associating with unclean sinners, but some were receptive and eventually became Christians. 
They did not like the conquering Greeks or Romans, but wanted to avoid conflict with them, which helped the Pharisees survive as a Jewish sect long after the fall of the temple in A.D. 70. The Pharisees were popular with the average Jewish person and concentrated their efforts in the local synagogues and not in the temple in Jerusalem. They did believe in resurrection and angels and demons. Who do you know from your experience that would have some of these characteristics? Adherence to tradition and custom, practice the old ways, abhorrence of what they deemed as corrupt beliefs, and the need, need to remain separate from impure society. These divisive groups could be straight from the news today in any country on earth. I have certainly experienced both in scientific gatherings, political gatherings, even in supposedly similar religious gatherings. What makes the encounter between Jesus and the Sadducees and Pharisees remarkable is that they were both together in some setting where both were there to attack, to take on Jesus and his teaching. Jesus and his teaching was threatening enough to the status quo that both felt threatened. I strongly suspect that both groups felt that a more righteous, more sophisticated, more educated, more popular teacher was present. I would have dearly loved to see and experience that encounter. I believe the full authority, morally, godly, spiritually, earthly, lovingly, what else can I say, was present during this encounter. The Sadducees tended to be viewed as self-righteous and had an air of sanctity over others. All of us know the type. And the Pharisees had the air of purity and separation from others. All of us know this type as well. Jesus had notably won his argument with the Sadducees, and Matthew states, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Just a personal note, I can see this happening and have seen it happen in many scientific gatherings where there are opposing teams and arguments where those of like mind get together to develop a strategy against whatever threatens their sense of integrity. Continuing with the scriptural text, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Just a note, these were the Pharisees, so the law is both written and oral tradition was their background. Just a reminder. Continuing with the scripture. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Personally, again, I can see this person stating this question loudly and pompously so that all could hear, especially the Sadducees. This person may have thought he had asked a controversial question that had the intellectual upper hand, but I also hope it is possible that he had the real desire to know. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus was very matter-of-fact speaking with complete authority, and is saying that everything that had happened, been recorded, transpired, the moral law, the physical law, the intellectual law, all actions, all beliefs, all feelings, all everything that those listening to him knew, believed, or even suspected, Sadducees and Pharisees, and anybody else that happened over here, was to be based on loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and loving your neighbor as yourself. A simple statement of universal importance to mankind. These two commandments are key, core, seminal, 
pick the word for them being foundational for Christianity. If you will, the Newtonian, Einsteinian, Feynman, quantum physical concepts of Christianity. One more point, a very subtle one. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang, H-A-N-G, on these two commandments, are not built on or made of or are part of. They are the top reference from above, from God, if you will, and everything else hangs on them. It's built downward from the top, not up from the bottom. Of these two requirements, nothing is higher or has greater priority. We don't develop God from what we build ourselves, internally, mentally. We don't build up. We certainly don't create God from our own mental constructs or any physiochemical responses. God is there and builds downward towards us. This is my interpretation of these statements, and I stake my life on it. As a point of interest, Jesus is recorded as having spoken about 31,000 words that were carried through into the Bible, a little less than four hours talking at the speed I am speaking in this podcast. Here, in 48 English words, Jesus sums up our relationship with our Creator God in 0.1% of his recorded teaching. I wish I could be that wise, insightful, and succinct. Powerful words with a powerful meaning. I have spoken more words than the 31,000 in a half-day lecture and lab session with my students with orders of magnitude less significant impact. Considering this teaching of Jesus as our guideline, let's discuss how to be a scientist, think like a scientist, act like a scientist, and yet be a Christian. As always, I base these thoughts on my study and experience and just want to relate to you to help you believe. I will stop a moment and refer you to our last podcast podcast 21, where we discussed hubris. It is worth thinking about as we discuss our topic today. To start with, I have worked with, known, met, ate with, drank with, argued with, and am friends with hundreds of scientists, research engineers, philosophers, and others. In all cases, these friends, acquaintances, and co-workers are generally good, really good people. Some are very prominent in their support to others and meaningful activities and projects. By all accounts, and in any human terms, we would consider these people as good. However, not all of these are or were Christians, although some were and are. In my experience, I have known only a very few scientists who were angry against anything we would call good, negative, harsh, hateful, yet some of these claim to be Christians. Being a Christian is a choice, an individual choice. It involves establishing your relationship with Jesus, belief, and baptism, and then living the life as he taught. There are various Christian organizations, churches, denominations that require all kinds of actions other than these and those we will discuss in this podcast with all kinds of rules, precision, beliefs, and ceremonies. I will not discuss these multiplicity of actions, but may do so later. For me, Christianity is not hard or rules-based, but living up to the ideals of love, faith, purity of heart, the teachings of Jesus, and can be very difficult. All the negative aspects people assign to Christianity, the wars, mistreatment of peoples, abuse of all kinds, is always, always, always based on humans interpreting and rewriting the teachings of Jesus to suit their own ends, to achieve dominance, 
remaking Jesus and God in their image instead of us living in the image of Jesus and God. Always. So, how to be a scientist and a Christian in our professional lives. Let's explore, study, and experience. First, we need basic belief. No matter how imperfect, we need to start with belief in, one, there is a supreme God, a creator, one that we can perceive and sense, maybe even conceive of and sense, maybe using our scientific skills of thought and observation and however you envision him. Two, in this vast universe we study as scientists, he has a care, concern, a desire and plan for us as created beings with a free will. Three, that because we were given a free will, we have, do, and will screw up, do things to destroy creation, damage one another, damage ourselves, and unilaterally separate ourselves from God. Four, that God our Creator seeks our reconciliation with Him, our desire for Him, our worship, and our love. Five, He made that reconciliation possible by providing a part of Himself his son, Jesus, as an intermediary between us and him as a method to, and with the power to, erase the mistakes and ill will we have created between us and God and ourselves, and recreate our free will desire for righteousness. And six, there is, me there is a method in place for us to implement this process. As I write and speak this, it really does sound sort of like a hypothesis. Believing in a creator, in God, and in the six thoughts just mentioned can be done as a scientist. Consider some of the giants whose shoulder we stand on. The following is from Sir Isaac Newton in his Principia Mathematica. And I quote, The most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. And if the fixed stars are centers of like systems, these being formed by the likewise council must be all subject to the dominion of one, especially since the light of the fixed stars is of the same nature with the light of the sun. And from every system light passes into all the other systems. And lest the system of fixed stars should, by their gravity, fall on each other, he hath placed those systems at immense distances from one another. This being governs all things not as the soul of the world, but as Lord over all. And on account of his dominion, he is wont to be called Lord God, Pantocrator. Pantocrator means he who holds sway over all things, the ruler of all, all-powerful, almighty God, or universal ruler. For God is a relative word and has a respect to servants, and deity is the dominion of God not over his own body, as those who imagine who fancy God to be the soul of the world, but over servants. The supreme being is eternal, infinite, absolutely perfect, omnipotent and omniscient. We know him only by his most wise and excellent contrivances of things and final causes. Newton has the realization and understanding of John's gospel, where he wrote in his fourth chapter, God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And I believe Newton is also saying we have to imagine God in our words and images, but he is much greater than any of those. We have discussed this before in earlier podcasts. We could quote much more. 
Einstein and Hawking had similar but not exact thoughts, and neither one claimed, to my knowledge, to be a Christian, although you might argue they were deist. Maybe we will discuss this in a future podcast. And I have to add, one of my favorite quotes is from Werner Heisenberg. The first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will make you an atheist, but at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. I have been there, done that, and found this to be true. For me personally, I have questioned, studied, tested the concept of God, but never found cause to deny or question further. Quite the contrary. Inherent in this hypothesis we have just mentioned is an a priori concept that the, our Creator God, designed us in creation as something perfect from start to finish and that we chose wrong, sin, using our free will by listening to and believing outside interference, interference that had already separated itself from worship and love of God. The Bible tells us the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent, Satan and his following angels. I actually have a feeling of sorrow for them, and how Satan as the serpent suggested to us to disobey, and we willingly listened. This concept alone, even if you believe it to be a myth, or a metaphor, of original human goodness but somehow corrupted, is very hard to wrap our head around, but it is an almost universal human experience. In many ways, this universal experience is proof of a universal creator. Think about it. Think of all the evil deities, demigods, spirits, whatever you want to call other creatures with free will who fell from God or the supreme being in many major human existing and ancient moral religions. It seems as if this knowledge and universal human experience is almost built into our DNA. Remember our hubris discussion last podcast. This is another reminder that we are not the first or the prime or the most advanced beings in the universe, and effectively, that we in our part of the physical universe cannot even experience some of what these other beings experience. I strayed off topic a bit, so now we have a hypothesis and a fundamental concept to guide it. What are our methodologies and process to become and live as a Christian while also being a scientist? We will discuss that in part two of this series in our next podcast. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode of Considering Christianity as a Scientist podcast series. We began our discussion of living as a scientist and a Christian. As scientific thinkers, we can evaluate our belief and through understanding, develop a growing relationship with our Creator God. We can understand His history with mankind and the teachings of His Son, the Christ, to bring us closer to Him better our relationship with ourselves, and save us from those who would destroy us. Our next episode, part two in podcast 23, is coming soon. Mm -hmm.